Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears Sweet land of liberty of the As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Oh, my goodness gracious. It is good to be back. Good morning to you. Thank you so very much for being here. It is 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock. It is a Wednesday, the ninth morning of the eighth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. My, oh, my, oh, my. It's hard to be away. Everybody likes vacation. This wasn't a vacation for me. It was more of a, more of a family commitment. Uh, my daughter was on her way. Is her on her? She's there now. We delivered her over the course of the last five days to Knoxville, Tennessee, <clears throat> where she will begin what I think is going to be a phenomenal legal career as a first-year law student at the University of Tennessee. Go Vols. Uh, that's going to be fun. We were gone, uh, and I want to say thank you to those who stayed. Dakota and George and Steve and the Monday Night Roundtable crew on Friday. Khalid Namar, who was in for me on Monday. And, of course, Peter Kersenow. I got a chance to listen to some of him yesterday because we were in the truck on the way back up uh, to uh, to Cleveland. So thank you to those uh, phenomenal uh, bench players. Uh, they, they were bullpen guys. Maybe you want to call them. They come right out and are ready to go every single time and do a great job. So I know uh, they held down the fort. So thank you to them. Thank you to the crew. Welcome to Seth, who's running our show today as Johnny is out. Uh, and thanks to you for being with us. So it is 
the morning after. The morning after the special election that we have been pointing to and discussing and rallying for for the, over the course of the last several months, certainly much more in, with much more intensity over the last couple or few weeks, and uh, it didn't go the way we wanted to. And there are a lot of people right now who are hand-wringing. There are a lot of people right now who are afraid. There are a lot of people right now who are concerned over the results of that special election that, w- that was held yesterday. Um, I am here to tell you, be not afraid. I am here to tell you that the war is not over. As a matter of fact, the war has barely begun. If you think the war was lost yesterday and that all hope is lost, you are, you are, you are, you are I would say sadly, but you are greatly mistaken because it will encourage you. It should make you feel better to know that it is not. And I'll explain why after we go ahead and pledge our allegiance to this great country, as we do at the start of each and every show. So, patriots, let's do this now before we get into breaking down what happened and before we welcome our first guest, who is going to be Congressman Jim Jordan. He'll be joining me in about four or five minutes. Uh, let's pledge our allegiance. Patriots. I pledge. Oh, nope, I got it. I got it on this end. We're going to... Uh, uh, like I said, Seth is with us today for the first time running our show, so thank you, Seth, for being here. But no, let's uh, let's do it this way. Put your hand on your heart. Put your um, uh, stand and face that flag if you have one. If you don't, that's okay. If you are a believer in selling American constitutions, like the Ohio Constitution, to billionaire foreigners from Switzerland, because that's what just happened, well, then you probably don't respect the rules or the liberty that that flag represents. So, therefore, you are exempt from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. You may take a knee over there next to that uh, bounced U.S. Olympic, so- or I mean, uh, World Cup soccer team, and uh, that unemployed quarterback. As for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation. Under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, so we are loaded up, uh, as noted. We are going to be talking with some of the most important heavy hitters in Ohio politics and national politics, quite frankly. In just a moment or two, we're going to be talking with Congressman Jim Jordan, uh, since we are out on Monday. Uh, coming up at 9.35, we're going to be talking with Senator J.D. Vance, uh, about a number of things, including the re- the results of issue one yesterday. Uh, Frank LaRose is the Secretary of State who ran that election yesterday and who is one of the leading champions for issue one. He'll join me at 1010 with the aftermath. And then Jack Windsor, uh, founder and uh, editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network, will join me at 1110. And he's going to stick around for the entire 11 uh, o'clock hour until 1145 anyway, and he'll take your calls with me. So I'm looking forward to getting his reaction as well as yours. So these are the plans for the day. And like I said, we're going to have Congressman Jordan here in just a moment or two, and we're going to talk about a number of things. In addition to, of course, issue one, Congressman Jordan, like every other Ohioan, has been very, very uh, careful and closely watching this. In addition to that, we're going to be talking about the smoking gun. Congressman Jordan has been spectacular and stellar in his efforts to do what he said he would do. He wrote a book, by the way, called Do What You Said You Would Do. He said he would, as the chairman of the judiciary, if we won the majority last November, and we did, he said he would investigate and hold people accountable at the federal government level for the corruption 
and for the two-tiered system of justice by which they operate, and that includes, of course, uh, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, and uh, he's doing exactly that. He is also holding the federal government. Oh, I'm told he is on the line. Apologies. Like I said, we're kind of doing things a little bit differently today, so let's uh, dive in now and welcome Congressman Jim Jordan to our program. Congressman, good to have you. How are you this morning, sir? I'm fine, Bob. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. Missed you on uh, Monday. That was uh, because I was out. I appreciate you making time for us today. So, uh, Congressman, briefly, before we get into some of the work you're doing on judiciary, and I want to talk about the smoking gun uh, against the Bidens and, uh, and against all of us, quite frankly, your reaction to the issue one result last night. Uh, we tried to uh, raise the threshold to pass Ohio yeah. constitutional amendments to 60%. It went down uh, for a number of reasons. Your thoughts? Well, it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, uh, my attitude is you, you shouldn't just be able to kind of willy-nilly change the, the foundational document. Uh, the, you know, with, with, the, with the country, it's the United States Constitution, the greatest constitution ever put together, and it requires a supermajority vote in the Congress and then, of course, a uh, three-quarters of the states to ratify what the Congress uh, passes to change that, to amend that. And um, we thought it made sense to do that with, with the Ohio Constitution, but the voters said otherwise, and so we'll, we'll go from here. Um, what I do know is, is if this is the way it's going to be going forward, then look, there are lots of issues we, we conservatives, uh, I think can change with 50% plus one. I mean, I think there's things we can do on energy policy with our state. There's things we can do on, on stopping municipalities, uh, defunding the police. There's things we can probably do on school choice. There's things we can do on, uh, uh here's a, here's one. Uh, maybe we should put on the ballot, uh, boys shouldn't be able to compete against girls in sports, for goodness sake, in our state. So I, I think there's some, some things that that make sense that we could uh, that we could do, um, and uh, you know we'll 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 go from uh, we'll go from here. Yeah, the only the only quickly uh, response to that is that we Republicans believe in our system of government. We believe in the representative republic that we are, and we yep. like we believe in using the legislative process. Ohio laws are meant to be changed in the Ohio Revised Code, not in the Constitution. Uh, you know, the left knows they can't win. Their ideas are so unpopular. They cannot exactly. win statewide elections. They cannot win majorities in the Ohio General Assembly. And so they're, they're decided to try to turn us into a direct democracy, which is a direct smack in the face of the founders who gave us a republic. Yep. No, no, it's supposed to be you elect your representative in a representative democracy and a representative republic. You elect them. They go debate the issues. They go, they go advocate for you, your community, your business. Your, your geographic area, and then that they, they make the law. That's how it's supposed to work. That's our great system, the best system ever. Um, but, uh, again, it is what it is, and there, there may be some fundamental things we can, we can change that, that make sense, that are good policy, um, and we'll, uh, I think we'll evaluate all those and, and look, as, look at some of those as we move forward. As uh, we brought you in, Congressman, I was uh, kind of extolling some of your uh, work in the uh, judiciary that you have done uh, in exposing some of the corruption at the government level and uh, the collusion between government and big tech. You unveiled the smoking gun, as it's being called, uh, evidence that the Biden administration did collaborate with Facebook slash meta company leaders to remove information about COVID-19, among other things. Can you tell us more about the smoking gun? Yeah, they, they, they actually... There's an internal email where uh, that, that we got where there was uh, uh, they, they talk about the pressure coming from the White House to do these things. Then there's an email from the White House that says, "Hey, can you change your now think about this? Can you change your algorithm so that you so that we get more people looking at the New York Times stories and less people looking at the Daily Wire and conservatives? I mean, th- that is that is 
just di- direct assault on the First Amendment. And I'm and reminiscent of what we saw in communist countries, what we see in communist countries where there's this, this, this you know, pressure and coercion of the free press. Um, and then, of course, there was the, the, the thing we unveiled, this, this latest thing unveiled this week with uh, the FBI knew more than they were telling uh, the American people. When Elvis Chan was under oath, he said he had one communication with Facebook regarding the Hunter Biden laptop story back in October of 2020. It looks like he had more than that. And so we're going to want to talk to Mr. Chan uh, as we move forward with our investigation as well. Yeah, and, and, and for great reasons. I mean, you know, again, I, I, people sometimes get a little tired of the cliched phrases like two-tiered system of justice, but how else can you look at it? Uh, when you consider that the FBI was providing cover, that the bigger picture, you know, DOJ uh, was providing as well for the Biden family in yep. so many ways, going back to his time as vice president, going back to his time as candidate, and obviously burying the laptop story, when they knew full well what it was, as you just pointed out. So, again, w- one thing that Americans are looking for, and they're looking to you and others for leadership in this is how do we hold them account? It's one thing to expose them and say, hey, they did this, we knew it, uh, and boy, we're mad about it, but how do we get accountability so that we can make sure it doesn't continue? Well, one is uh, you, you continue to, to do the work we're supposed to do under the Constitution, do our oversight, and, and expose the truth. Uh, now, here's a great example. Uh, two, and, two and a half weeks ago, the IRS announced that they were no longer sending agents out to American homes, unannounced visits to, to taxpayers' homes. I think that's a direct result of the work we did, especially the work we did with uh, with Matt Taibbi when he was testifying and the IRS was knocking on his on his door. So um, I think that's a result of the work we've done and, and the things we've exposed there. So that that's good in and of itself. But then you go further. You propose legislation like Senator Paul and I are, are looking to do that would say if you're involved in the government and in, in, co- uh, in censoring American speech and pressuring. Uh, platforms to censor American speech, you lose your job, you lose your pension, you can be sued, you lose a security clearance if you have it. That, that's, that's the legislation we're looking to bring, bring forward. And then finally, as we've talked about many times, you use the money, the power of the purse to limit these agencies and what they can do to Americans. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, the, the only problem, and you and I have talked about this before, and, I, and maybe it's semantics, but I don't think it is for a lot of people when, when we talk about, you know, using the power of the purse to limit the, the damage they can do at the FBI. It, some call that defunding the police, defunding the agency that's supposed to be, you know, the investigative branch that, or uh, agency that's supposed to protect us all. You can make a, I think there's a clear distinction you can make between the agents on the ground who are doing the Lord's work and yep. the people in Washington who are, who are doing, you know, I, I think advancing this, this, Unequal application of the law. So, I mean, under, again, but it's the, it's the, it's those it's those directors that we're talking about. Of course, because I agree with you, hundred yeah. percent. You're right. It's those directors that have to be held accountable, and the and the agents, as great of work as they do on the ground, they can only follow the direction of their superiors. And when they are ordered to do things, they do things. And you know, and and, and so we again, we yeah. get we get very little result. We've got two former FBI uh, officials, agents who who work for the committee, and they've been they've just have been invaluable. The, the work they give, the, the insight they give us, but. For example, that, that, that memo that was from the Richmond field office that said if you were a pro-life, pro-life Catholic, the FBI was going to categorize you as, a, as an extremist, for goodness sake. Uh, seeing how that memo was put together, looking at some of the language in there, some of the things we didn't quite get, it was so helpful to have those agents who could look at that and explain what it was. So, yeah, these agents do great work, um, but there's a big difference between the guy out there solving, solving serious crime um, and protecting the country, big difference between him and, and her, uh, and, and, and the folks in D.C. 
Congressman Jim Jordan is our guest. He is the chairman of the House Judiciary and the Weaponization Subcommittee. Uh, next question for you, Congressman Jordan. Dear Devin, I apologize for not getting a chance to talk to you at the luncheon yesterday. I was having trouble getting away from hosting President Hugh. I hope I get a chance to see you again soon with Hunter. I hope you enjoyed lunch. Thanks for coming. Joseph R. Biden. Congressman, that letter from Joe Biden to Devin Archer pretty much undercuts everything Joe Biden has ever said about not being involved with his son's overseas business deals, does it not? Letters, dinners, phone calls, meetings, now 30 different times. Eric Schwerin, one of the one of the partners with Hunter Biden, was visiting with Joe Biden at the White House at the vice president's residency. I mean, all this, and, and of course, it just just runs counter to his statement that he had no involvement whatsoever with his son's business. It just it just doesn't fit with the facts. And there's no way that the dinners and the phone calls and the thirty some meetings. There's no way they were only talking about the weather. We're not stupid. We can figure this stuff out. But that's that's the message they're trying to convey. And it was certainly the brand was what Hunter Biden brought to the business. The brand was Joe Biden, and the and and the key to the brand was having access to it. That was the whole point. And now. Uh, today, uh, the Oversight Committee is going to be uh, releasing more information about the $20 million that came into the Biden from all these foreign nationals in places like Kazakhstan, Ukraine, Russia. Um, but yeah, Romania, it just keeps, China. Yeah, Romania. It just keeps piling up. You know, as someone said, I just heard someone say, it's, it, you know, it's not like it, the, the money's coming from England, France, and Italy. It's, 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 from, it's from some places. And China, of course. The EFC, the, 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 the company in China. So, um, yeah, this just keeps piling up. And then when you couple it with what happened, we were talking about just a few minutes ago, with the, the FBI knowing that the laptop story was real, but giving no comment to Facebook and Twitter, allowing that story to be censored when they knew there was no, no, no truth to this Russian information operation. That all happened. And then you, you fast forward to today and what the DOJ did to give the sweetheart plea deal to Hunter Biden. I mean, this is what drives Americans crazy. Now we're learning more and more of these facts. Thank goodness that judge a couple weeks ago said no to that deal because we didn't have as many facts as we now know about what, what happened here. Devin Archer testified after the plea agreement. So um, we're just going to keep doing our work. And as the speaker said earlier this week, if, if in fact, we move to an inquiry phase of, the, of, of this, uh, this impeachment inquiry phase of the investigation, we'll do that. Congressman, last thing on this, uh, briefly, um, people like Dan Goldman seem to be, you know, playing the role of defense counsel for the entire Biden family. He tried to sell during the, uh, as we read, of course, it was close to our testimony, but as we read the transcript, he tried to sell the idea that there was no actual, you know, um, participation by Joe Biden or even Hunter Biden. There was just an illusion of access to the White, or to the White House and to the vice yeah. president. There was an illusion of, of access to that brand and so forth. Um, they're still selling that in the press, and the press eats it up. How do you respond to them saying that this wasn't real, this was, this was just Hunter flexing, hey, I can talk to my dad whenever I want to, but it never really amounted to anything? Well, it's not an illusion when it's, it's 20 phone calls. It's not an illusion when it's two dinners at the Cafe Milano in D.C. with one of those meetings was with the, the wealthiest woman in Russia, the, the oligarch uh, Baterina, who, who had spent $3.5 million to the, to the Biden business operation. It, it's not an illusion when 30-some times Hunter, uh, Hunter Biden's business partner is visiting with the vice president and gets put on a, on a, on a, uh, a, 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 get the plum assignment on, the, on a board, on this commission. So those aren't illusions. The, the letter is real. You just read it to me. That's not an illusion. That's a real letter that he, that he wrote to uh, one of his son's business partners. So uh, they can say illusion, but 
you know, again, the folks who are listening to you, you and I, we, 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 we have reason, we have logic, we're not stupid, we can, we can see it for ourselves. And it's basically say, oh, don't believe what you're seeing because it's an illusion. No, it's not. It's real. And uh, the well, facts, again, as I said before, keep piling up. Will um, will your committee or oversight? Well, you're on both committees. Will will, will judiciary oversight um, call Eric Schwerin and Tony Bobulinski? I, I think that is likely. Uh, I don't uh, that that would be that would be uh, in Chairman Comer's committee. Uh, what we're trying to get in is David Weiss and the other ten folks who were part of the DOJ and how this Hunter Biden investigation was run. We're focused on on that part of the investigation. Mr. Comer is focused on the business transaction part of the investigation, and that's how those come together. But we really want to talk to these these folks who um, did the investigation. And I, I think again, as we talked about last week, I believe with with the the, the testimony of Devin Archer, we now know why Barisma, the 2014-2015 tax years, were left out of the plea agreement, why they didn't press charges there. I think it all ties in Barisma, which is the most compelling. Um, and I think troublesome uh, part of the business operation that we've uh, uncovered thus far. Last question for you. I know you're very passionate about what they're doing to President Trump with this new indictment over J6 and the judge ordering Donald Trump to explain why he shouldn't be silenced about what happened that day. He's got to defend himself, for crying out loud. All these attacks in the press are allowed to happen, but he's not allowed to respond in the press. Can you give me your thoughts on that, sir? Well, plus he's the leading candidate for the highest office in the land. He's, he's an announced candidate for president. He's winning in every poll. <laughs> what, you're going to be in politics and not allowed to speak? I mean, this, this to me is like so common. That he's running for president of the United States, and the judge is saying, I think I'm going to tell you to be quiet about one of the, the primary issues that has you in the news every day. I mean, that, that to me is almost laughable. Like, are you kidding me? If we have a constitution, we have a First Amendment, and we have the guy who's running for the commander-in-chief of the greatest country on the planet. you got to be kidding me. So I, I, part of me just wants to laugh, like, oh, what? This judge is thinking about saying, President Trump, you're not allowed to say things regarding the case. Give me a break. Uh, I, I just, I, I mean, I, I, sometimes you're just at a loss for words when you think about th- this is craziness, but this is the state of affairs in today's world with this, uh, this this unequal application of the law and there's two standards of justice and this then the left out to get the one guy who's been in the Oval Office in, in my lifetime who's done more of what he said he would do than any president we've ever had. Yeah, Congressman Jim Jordan, we'll look forward to what the Oversight Committee has to present as well today. Congressman, thank you for the great work you do. We'll talk to you next week. You bet. Take care. That's Jim Jordan. He's the chair of the House Judiciary. We go from Congressman Jordan to Senator Vance. He's next after the break on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, 936. Uh, we're packed. Okay, we're packed. And that's a good thing. We've had a lot to talk about and a lot of people to talk about it with. We just uh, had uh, Congressman Jim Jordan coming up here in a moment or two. We're connecting with uh, Senator J.D. Vance, who's been very busy in a number of places. He's been uh, up to Toledo uh, uh, working on issues involving Lake Erie's. Uh, Nash- he was at NASA Glen on Monday. Uh, he's got uh, new legislation on the East Palestine Railway safety legislation, and uh, he's going to just talk about it. And also his reaction to issue one as well and the uh, defeat yesterday. So I said uh, at the top of the show, <clears throat> before we had Congressman Jordan on, that if people are worried 
and freaking out over the uh, result of issue one yesterday, and you think that there's some sort of sea change in the state of Ohio, uh, I'm here to tell you, you're, you're not. You're worrying about this for for all the wrong reasons. Yesterday's result, which was a defeat, uh, to, you know, we lost to, to, to a lot of money. Quite frankly, we lost to money, not just out-of-state money, which there was out-of-state money spent on the Yes campaign, too, but we were outspent more than four to one, and so much of their millions that they spent on the No One Issue One campaign came from out of the country. A Swiss billionaire, uh, tons of dark money pouring in from out of the country on that campaign. So Jack Windsor blew the lid off of that. We're going to talk to Jack uh, at about 11.10 today. But right now, I'm told we do have our next guest on the line. So from Congressman Jim Jordan and the House Judiciary to the halls of the Senate, and that is Senator J.D. Vance joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Senator, good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. I've been better. Uh, I didn't like yesterday's result, but I was just talking about how people need to kind of keep uh, a little bit of perspective on this thing. Can you give me your reaction to uh, the defeat yesterday of Issue 1 and the protection of the Ohio Constitution? Yeah, look, Bob, it's disappointing. I'm not going to pretend it's not, but I do think it's a minor step back in the grand scheme of things. And we're going to have to keep making this argument. If, if you step back a little bit, Bob, the, the thing that's fundamentally changed is that as Ohio has become more and more of a red state and Democrats are unable to notch victories in the General Assembly, what they're going to do is is have these out-of-state or even, in some cases, out-of-the-country billionaires come in to try to buy up particular constitutional issues. And, of course, abortion is what people have been talking about the past couple of months, but it's going to be tax policy. It's going to be legislative reform. It's going to be uh, electoral policy. Do we allow non-citizens to vote in Ohio elections? We're going to see this accelerate. And so I think we're going to have to revisit this conversation, but it's a defeat. It's disappointing. We're going to have to keep at it and try to prevent these guys from using the constitutional referendum process uh, to really change what kind of a state that we live in. So that, that's the fight of the future. I'm not happy about it, uh, but I think it's still a fight we're going to win. We lost the battle last night, but we're going to win the war. Yeah, and that's how I feel about it. The next uh, confrontation, of course, is November when there is a radical abortion-on-demand bill and uh, with the language being vague enough that it would allow children to have sex changes uh, without their parents' consent. All of these things are coming up in November. I firmly believe, despite what happened yesterday, that we are a very strong pro-life state, and I believe we will win in November. Do you agree? I, I do think that we're going to win in November, Bob. I, I think they made a huge mistake in just getting as much as they could possibly get. Like you said, sex changes for minors without their parents' consent, uh, abortion on demand up up close to the very end of a pregnancy. I really don't think Ohio is going to go for that. I, I think that, you know, look, clearly uh, the people are generally, you know, I, I would say this. I'm more pro-life, I think, than the average voter. I'm, I'm proud of that and, and going to try to persuade as many people as I can. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think that most Ohioans want radical abortion on demand at 39 weeks and i certainly don't want they think don't want them i don't think they want their 12 year old to get gender reassignment surgeries without their consent so i think we're going to win that battle and there's going to be battle after battle coming on the ohio constitution probably every year bob until i think we address this fundamental problem 100% 100% agree. We're talking to Senator J.D. Vance this morning on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Senator, you're, uh, you're bouncing around the state a little bit. Uh, you were in the northwest side up in Toledo. I know you're working on that uh, East Palestine railway safety legislation on the uh, Youngstown area. Can you tell me what you were do- doing up in Toledo, studying algae on the lake? Why would that matter to Ohioans? Yeah, so, so we have a pretty bad environmental problem up there where, you know, the Maumee Bay empties into Lake Erie, the Maumee River empties into Lake Erie, and you have a pretty significant sort of poisonous algae bloom up there. 
And just one of the things that we're trying to keep track of is obviously ensure that these farmers and other folks have the resources to do their job, but also uh, to try to prevent some of the environmental pollutants. But, you know, it's just important, Bob. It's, it's we're in the August recess for me to get around the state. We went to Sandusky, actually took the kids to Cedar Point on Sunday, which was a lot of fun. Um, and then, and then spent some time in the Cleveland area as well. So as a Southern Ohio guy, one of the things I think I'm going to do is use these August recesses to get up and just spend, you know, not just a day or two, but, but a lot of time in Northern Ohio because, you know, it's, a, it's an area of the state that I'm obviously just less familiar with than the, the place that I grew up in. And I want to make sure that people up there see me and get it a chance to, to ask me questions to see how things are going. Uh, and to obviously express concerns too. So I had a lot of good conversations and, uh, Really, really had a good time. It's a beautiful part of the state, especially in early August. No question about it. Let's head east now to East Palestine because this is still uh, six months on now. Uh, we're still trying to make sure that this kind of thing can never happen again. So you're sponsoring, co-sponsoring uh, railway safety legislation. Can you tell us where we are? Yeah, so I, I think we have to we have to bring this up for a vote. We got it out of the Commerce Committee. I think that we have the votes in the Senate. I think Chuck Schumer is frankly dragging its feet a little bit on giving us the full vote. But we just have to have it. Either we have the votes or we, we don't, uh, but we can't let this get bogged down in Senate process. We actually have to do something here. I mean, here's the fundamental problem, Bob. Norfolk Southern set off a chemical bomb in East Palestine. The, the, the residents of that community are going to be dealing with it, not for the next six months, but for the next six years or even longer. And the question that we have is, are we going to let these companies keep on doing this stuff, or are we going to force them to observe some common-sense safety standards? If they're going to put millions of dollars, billions maybe, of dealing with the consequences of these chemical explosions, shouldn't we expect them to, to hold themselves to higher safety standards? That's really the conversation that we have. Uh, I, I think we're going to win that one. Uh, but we're also, look, we're going to have to be uh, dealing with the East Palestine situation for the next, uh, the next decade. I, I met with some folks from East Palestine just a couple of weeks ago. They are still struggling to get the resources they need for relocation. Some of them are still living out of a hotel room and can't get reimbursed for it because they can't go back to their homes. Some of them are going into their homes and getting sick or getting rashes because they're still dealing with toxic fumes. This situation is not going away anytime soon. And I'm not going to stop fighting for these people until until I feel like they've actually been, um, you know, not 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 treated perfectly because that's impossible, but at least treated fairly by the company that causes this problem. That has to mean the world to them because so many of us have forgotten. And I don't mean that to be you know callous in any way. I just I mean it was six months ago and I haven't heard any updates on it. So you just assume eh, things must be back to normal there, but they're not, and you're on it, and that's important. So that's good to know. Last thing for you because I know your time is limited this morning, Senator Vance. Um, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden are being exposed on an almost daily basis now. The bombshells dropped by Devin Archer, including the revelation of the letter sent by Joe Biden to Devin Archer, uh, prove that he was indeed involved in his son's overseas business dealings. I asked Jim Jordan this. I'll ask you this. What and when can we what can we uh, do to hold these people accountable, uh, particularly in the DOJ that have provided them cover? And when might we see something? Well, first of all, thank God for Jim Jordan and, 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 and Comer and, and some of these guys at the House side that are doing the Lord's work, uncovering this stuff. You know, I always t- tell people, Bob, who are, who are frustrated with the lack of action from Congress, uh, sometimes the investigatory powers of the Congress are the most important thing that they have because you can, you can reveal wrongdoing that, that none of us can, or most of us can only guess at, but now we actually have confidence that, like you said, Joe Biden lied to the American people. He said that he wasn't involved in his son's business dealings. We now know that that's true. 
And really, the, the next step, I think, is to start going down the road of impeachment procedure. Um, that gives the Congress more power to do more investigation. It reveals, it's going to continue to reveal a lot of the wrongdoing. I'm a realist, Bob. I recognize that, look, we have the, with the Democrats in control of the Senate, the odds that Joe Biden is kicked out of office are slim to none. And even if he was, of course, you've got Kamala Harris right there behind him. But what the House can do is continue to use its power to uncover the wrongdoing. The thing we have to remember, Bob, is, is look, from the immigration and border crisis to the corruption of the Department of Justice, uh, I hate to say it, but we, we live in a country where unless you have the presidency, it is hard to get some of the fundamental reforms that we need to see. Uh, if we can reveal the corruption of Hunter and Joe Biden, make it more likely uh, that Donald Trump is elected president in 2024, then, then we have a real chance here to go at the corruption in a way that we've never gone at it before. Remember, when Trump came in in 2016, a lot of us, myself included, were blind to just how deep the rot was within the federal bureaucracy. We're learning the, the, the seriousness of that rot right now. The question is, what are we going to do about it? And I, and I think that we, we unfortunately have got to win in 2024. We've got to win back the Senate to really ensure these guys suffer some consequences. Yeah, I completely agree, and I'm glad you mentioned impeachment. My question, though, is Biden the best target, or would we be talking about impeachment of Merrick Garland for providing all of the cover first? Yeah, look, I, I, I think the two people who most deserve impeachment in the Biden administration are Garland and Mayorkas, of course, the guy who runs Department of Homeland Security, which has control of the border. <laughs> I think Garland's corruption is, is, in, is, is, is a specific and extreme level of using the Department of Justice as a political weapon. And, of course, we have to be realists here. I've endorsed Donald Trump. I'm going to support him and do everything I can to get him elected. But there are a lot of middle-of-the-road voters who really don't care one way or the other about the Department of Justice going after the former president. They do care about their Department of Justice going after common citizens who are just exercising their rights, right? Parents protesting peacefully at school board meetings. Merrick Garland sent the FBI after them. Catholic fathers protesting abortion quietly. Merrick Garland, the Department of Justice, after that guy. If we can highlight the way that the people's own government is being used against them, not just powerful political figures, but against the worst um, or, or, or highlighting the worst kinds of corruption against just common citizens exercising their rights, then I think we actually have an opportunity to really stick to these guys and to get the change in government we all need. Well, your constituents, my listeners, they are counting on you and others to to do exactly that. So I really appreciate your strong uh, stance on that. Uh, Cong- or excuse me, Senator J.D. Vance, it's a pleasure. It's a privilege. Keep up the good work, and we'll talk to you again soon, sir. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Thank you. That's Senator J.D. Vance on AM 1420, The Answer. Um, so much news to cover there and so much ground that he just covered so i really appreciate that we'll try to talk about as much of that as we can but we are going to get back to reacting to yesterday's vote we're going to try to provide some perspective and a little bit of clarity for people who are freaking out over last night's result when those things came in it was not unexpected and when you expect things you are prepared for the aftermath of those things i expected this and let's talk about how prepared we are to move forward to the next phase of the fight in november that's next on always right radio am 1420, the answer. Okay, it is uh, 9.54 as we continue on Always Right Radio. 
1420 the answer i got a few minutes now to get a little bit more in depth um with some analysis of of what we learned yesterday one thing we learned yesterday with the results of issue one and i know there are a lot of very disappointed people of course nobody likes to lose I mean, losing sucks uh and there's no getting around that but for people who think that somehow yesterday's loss means that the war is over, that the fight is over, uh, you're just you're just you're not thinking clearly. Quite frankly, you're being a little bit delusional. Yesterday's result was the outcome of a battle. We've lost many many battles, and we can take that literally in terms of war efforts. We lost a lot of battles in wars that we ended up winning. We can talk about the, we can use that figuratively, talking about battles within the culture war, battles, you know, for the soul of the country, these kinds of things as well. You lose battles, it doesn't end the war. Um, we're not ending the war. As a matter of fact, I'm just ready to start it. Yesterday's result was proof that evil oftentimes, um, pressed hard enough by those with evil intentions, can indeed uh, score some 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 points. Um, we're talking about fighting an evil here, and you might say, "Oh, you're being a little melodramatic here, Bob." No, I'm not. I I think the effort and the intent to keep Ohio's constitutional amendment threshold at fifty percent, just half of the state, requiring only half of the counties to participate in signature gathering, in order to um, push through amendments that would allow the barbaric murder of pre-born children literally up until the moment they're born? I think that's evil. I think trying to hold a weak amendment process and a weak amendment threshold at 50% rather than requiring a strong majority of Ohioans to amend our Constitution at 60% in an attempt to allow children who aren't old enough, smart enough, wise enough, mature enough, or emotionally balanced enough to make decisions on whether or not they want to get they, they, they can get a tattoo on their body because it's permanently altering their body. The little children who aren't old enough to decide whether or not they want to smoke a cigarette, who aren't old enough to take a drink of alcohol, who aren't old enough to, to enter into a con, who aren't smart enough or mature enough to do any of those things to allow them to say, I want to start puberty blockers that will be permanently affecting my body, cross-sex hormones, that will permanently affect my body on the road to mutilation surgery that will permanently affect my body to allow kids to make those decisions without parental input, that's evil. And that's coming in November. So what we found yesterday is that evil is going to do what it takes to advance itself. Evil feeds itself. And in this particular case, it fed itself with millions of dollars from not just out-of-state special interest groups and organizations, but out of the country, Swiss billionaires donating the bulk of the money to the No on Issue 1 campaign in order to allow that evil to be spread. The same type of evil that when it comes to the next amendment that they've already even talked about, they've given voice to it, that once they defeat the 60% initiative, 
and they have just the 50% half-to-state weak amendment threshold, that they're going to come for our guns. Your rights to defend yourself against what? Against evil. Against tyranny, if need be. There are so many things that they want to do that are evil in intent. And guess what? Evil will do whatever it takes to win. And they won yesterday. They won by confusing people. Did you know we had people calling the radio station yesterday from the polls saying, I'm confused, which way should I vote? Why do you think they were confused? Because evil was done. They used 14, 15, 16 million dollars of dark money, out-of-state money, to create deceptive advertisements to confuse the hell out of people. And guess what? It worked! They may be evil, but they're not entirely stupid, my friends. They know how to do these things. So they won the day yesterday. They won the battle. But you know what Ohio is? Ohio is resilient. You know what else Ohio is? Ohio is pro-life. And I promise you, when the confusion is removed, which it was not for yesterday's vote, when the confusion is removed from November, and it's simply, do you want to abort babies on demand? Ohio will stand strong. We will win this war. We're going to talk more about that coming up with Frank LaRose, the Secretary of State. That's next on Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Hour number two underway. Appreciate you joining. And it's uh, time for analysis. It's time to look back at what happened yesterday and to give it some perspective, my friends. I'm seeing so many people hand wringing and and uh, hang hanging their heads and they're 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 defeated and they feel as though there's some sea change in Ohio. Let me tell you something. Yesterday was not an indication of what Ohio is. Yesterday was not an indication of what Ohio is becoming. Ohio has proven over the course of the last several years it's no longer purple. It's no longer a swing state. It's no longer a battleground state. It's a red, conservative, pro-life state. That's why we swept all nine statewide elections, including three Ohio Supreme Court justices. It's why we have super majorities. It's why we had a president, or a candidate rather, our nominee on the Republican side, won the last two presidential elections, not by a point or two, eight points. That's a blowout, too. In each of the last two elections, we are a conservative, pro-life state. Yesterday, a lot of dark money confused a lot of good people. A lot of good people yeah. were taken in by a bunch of crap last week, or excuse me, over the course of the last couple of months, that manifested itself in yesterday's result. It's a defeat. It is not the end of the war. It is one battle. Joining me now is the uh, Secretary of State of the uh, State of Ohio. He uh, ran that election yesterday. He championed Issue 1 as well. Frank LaRose with uh, his thoughts on what we saw yesterday. Secretary LaRose, good to have you on the program again. How are you, sir? 
I'm good, Bob. And yeah, you're right. Uh, we ran a smooth election yesterday. It's important to start off by mentioning that there's always logistical things here and there, but our Ohio's elections officials stepped up. We ran a good election. We did this novel thing that other states seem to not be able to do. And we actually counted the votes on election night. Ohioans <laughs> know that it was a trustworthy election. And by the way, there was a large turnout. The, the Democrat naysayers had been saying for months, oh, it's just a, a low turnout August election. Nonsense. I stood in a Senate committee room four months ago. I said it was going to be a high turnout. It sure enough was over three million. And listen to this. One point three million of our fellow Ohioans stood up to say that we need to protect our Constitution. Unfortunately, the other side got more votes than us. And what that means is that the for sale sign still hangs on the Ohio Constitution. Yesterday was proof of how dangerous that can be when out of state tech billionaires from California fund a deceitful lying ad campaign but we've got to dust ourselves off because this is just one battle in a larger war ohioans know what's coming it's this anti-parent uh trans nonsense abortion agenda in november and then it's a massive increase in government mandated minimum wage that's going to kill our businesses and then it's gun rights and then it i mean it, the list goes on and on and so buckle up folks because we've got some fights ahead yeah, we do. And I want to talk about the fights ahead, Secretary LaRose, after I ask you about this fight again that was just wrapped yesterday. Um, and you mentioned the tech billionaires from California creating a bunch of deceptive ads. I'm more concerned with the money that came in from out of the country. Jack Windsor's going to yeah. join me in an hour, and we're going to talk about his reporting and his team's reporting at the Ohio Press Network about the Swiss billionaire that was responsible for an overwhelming amount of their $14 million. They outspent the yes on issue one aside four to one, I think, close to four to one anyway. And a bunch of that money came from out of the country. Are you aware of the legality of that? Yeah, I, I, in fact, I really uh, appreciate Jack's reporting on this. I've read it. I printed it off and handed it to our team to start looking into it. And, and obviously, uh, that's something that raises a whole lot of concerns. Uh, uh, we don't give a darn what some rich guy in Switzerland has to say. And if he has been illegally participating in issue advocacy in Ohio, then there will be consequences for it. But too early to tell on that. And obviously, the investigation has to be done. But, yeah, it's just an example, though, of the arrogance on the left. Um, and, and you know what? Sometimes it works. And again, when they does, are able to yeah. confuse people and run deceptive ads, sometimes they can convince uh, a majority of Ohioans to support their causes. But again, that's why we got to be ready for the fight ahead, uh, because they're going to do it again. They know the playbook and uh, and we have to be united. This is another thing. I think it's part of the conservative mindset. We're individualists <laughs> and they're collectivists. They join together. They lock arms. And they, they are, they're all in. Uh, you know, for example, why the unions joined this issue one fight is a mystery to me. This has nothing to do with organized labor ever and, and actually works against their interests. But again, they all lock arms and they join forces. We need to be united if we're going to fight off these attacks, this, this all out assault from the left that's coming to Ohio. Yeah, there's no question about it. Now, Secretary LaRose, they used your words at a speech, and you and I talked about this, and we gave it the context that they uh, they removed from it um, when they ran their ads mm -hmm. about this being 100% about abortion. This was not 100% about abortion, but now the November ballot initiative is. This is very specifically yeah. about abortion on demand, and because of the intentionally vague language they use with, uh, uh, with respect to, quote, reproductive rights, they have introduced 
um, the op- uh, the option of individuals. They do not specify that they must be adults 18 or over, but individuals be in charge of their own reproductive rights. And that means uh, that children can sterilize themselves with uh, cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers and the prep for having a full-on sex change operation and that parents can do nothing about it. So um, what is your confidence level that the duplicity and the deception that they used to win yesterday will be successful when it's clear that this is about abortion and protecting children coming this November? Yeah, well, they're going to go to the same old tactics. As you mentioned, I gave a 15-minute speech where I talked about it's gun rights, it's minimum wage to protect our businesses, it's it's all of these things. And yes, 100%, it's also about abortion. I wanted fellow pro-life Ohioans to know what's coming in November, and I wanted to speak clearly on that. And they take a 10-second clip out of context. This is about about legalizing child abuse, if, if we're to be quite honest, because allowing a minor child to make irrevocable decisions that will change their lives forever without parental involvement is child abuse. Uh, to allow abortion, uh, I mean, you know, all the way up through the third trimester for any reason and taking parents out of that decision is, is absolutely abhorrent. That's what's at stake here. And this is why we wanted to raise the threshold to 60 because this is too extreme, even for some of our pro-choice friends. If you've got friends that are pro-choicers and you actually talk about what's in this amendment that's on the ballot in November, they would say, oh, yeah, that goes too far for me. Well, if we're not careful, it could be nearly permanently enshrined in our state's constitution, making Ohio more radical than any state in the country, really, for abortion, for you know, gender transition for children. I mean, really turns our state into something that we don't want it to be. Yeah, and, 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 and that's a very important to know. Like I said, and, and people who are worried about what happened yesterday, and I had a lot of people messaging, and, and my hashtag, by the way, from this point forward is going to be see you in November, because the fight, like I said, is just getting underway. And I really think that the, uh, the confusion that was sown by those, uh, those, you know, those dark money dollars that we talked about was very successful. I had people, and I, you heard this when we did the Brexville event together, I had people, Multiple people telling me, Bob, I don't want abortion on demand in my state. I'm voting no. They did not Mm. understand that that no vote needed to be filed in November, that we needed a yes vote Mm -hmm. this time around. This happened yesterday. People called the radio station and said, I'm confused. Which way am I supposed to vote again? And I guarantee you there are pro-lifers who voted no yesterday thinking they were doing the right thing. That confusion Mm -hmm. disappears when it is literally uh, on the ballot in November and it is about abortion. So, and you're right about everything else you mentioned gun rights down the line and and uh you know uh a number of the minimum wage issues how about protecting first responders they want to get rid of qualified immunity, qualified immunity rights yep. for anyone to be a police officer it's but, that, but that's down insane. that's down the line in a future amendment though this particular uh, amendment or initiative for yeah. amendment is is specific to abortion and and sex changes as we talked about so i i hope people understand that and, and what i really want people to know is that we we got what we have in this country right now which are in the state right now, which is the heartbeat law, because we're a pro-life state. It's not in dispute. And I firmly believe that Ohio's pro-lifers are going to come out in November and make what happened yesterday a distant memory because they're going to defeat this thing and they're going to defeat it soundly because we don't believe in butchering babies on demand. And I think Ohio conservatives should pay attention to who stepped up to lead on issue one and who was absent. Uh, There were too many so-called Republicans, rhinos, really, that that didn't step up and lead on this. Of course, as you know, 
I left it all on the field, 76 different events and, and, and that kind of thing, but not enough Ohio Republicans stepped up because they said, ooh, this could be controversial. Folks, <laughs> it's better to fight and lose than never fight at all when it's a worthwhile cause. Why do you think that was? Why, why do you think that was, Secretary LaRose? Lack why of courage. Some... It's just good old-fashioned yellow belly lack of courage. I mean, it, it, and the same thing with the business community in, in too many instances. You know, there's this coalition that has existed for a long time where we bring together us social conservatives and the business conservatives, and together we can get some things done. As soon as the left started shrieking, oh, it's just abortion, a lot of the business community, well, they lost their courage and they stepped away from this, even though they've been saying for years that Business Roundtable and the Chamber of Commerce have been saying we've got to do something about how easy it is to amend the Constitution. They lost their courage. When it came to, you know, the left starting to say, oh, this is just about abortion. And that's unfortunate. When we can keep the coalition together, the conservative coalition of business and social conservatives, we can win. And that's something we need to work on going forward. Do you plan to, I know you've got a Senate campaign to run, so um, maybe you can, maybe you can't. I will ask Bernie Moreno and Matt Dolan the same things. Do you plan to be as active and involved in defeating this November initiative as you were in trying to pass this one in uh, yesterday? Oh, absolutely. It's about our children. It's about our future. It's about our values as Ohioans, and we can't let the left win. And the other thing, it's about our country, because they want to make an example in Ohio. Ohio's the classic test market. This is why fast food companies and consumer product brands test their products in Ohio. If it works in Ohio, it'll work in other places. The left knows this. They want to make an example in Ohio and then take this to other parts of the country. And so in that sense, We've got to fight for the soul of the nation here in Ohio as a proxy battle uh, this November. Secretary of State Frank LaRose, who was uh, one of the leaders in pushing to pass yesterday's uh, um, um, uh, amendment, which would uh, have raised the threshold to 60%, picking up the pieces today and planning for the next battle in what is a much, much larger war, and that next battle comes in November. Hashtag see you in November is what I am going with. Uh, Secretary LaRose, thank you for uh, what you did during this, uh, during this particular battle, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again as we get closer to the next one. Thanks for your leadership, Bob. Take care. Back in the fight. Thank you. You got it. That's exactly right. We will be. All right. That's Secretary LaRose. Um, now it's your turn. Your reactions. I told you I wanted to get them today. Um, we would, we've been jam-packed. We had Jim Jordan in the first hour. We had Senator J.D. Vance after that. Now Frank LaRose, the Secretary of State. And then coming up at 1110, it's Jack Windsor. So between now and then... You tell me how you feel about what happened yesterday. What went wrong? Is it what I'm talking about, the dark money, the confusing advertising? Was there some strategy that we, we perhaps erred upon or erred uh, in uh, carrying out, I guess is a better way to say that? You tell me your thoughts, 216-901-0945, Let's do this now on Always Right Radio. Ten twenty-seven now on Always Right Radio. Got a lot of reactions, I know, from a lot of people. How did you feel when you were at the polls yesterday? How do you feel about the result? Are you dispirited, disappointed, or are you more invigorated than ever for the fight that is to come? Because that's how I feel. I am ready. Hashtag see you in November. George Ann in Willoughby. You're on AM fourteen twenty the answer. Good morning, George Ann. Fire away. Yes, Bob, it's so good to talk with you. I have to tell you, my reaction last night was not really surprised, but I was really disappointed at how badly we lost the yes vote. And uh, what I want to also ask you is, 
Have you heard anything from our dear Governor DeWine or my Congressman David Joyce? I did not hear a peep out of them with any commercials or any uh, vocal statements. Now, they do send out a newsletter through email, but I never read them because they're just boring. So I, I don't know if you've heard anything from them. You know, I heard a DeWine endorsement. That's it. Oh. Somebody said Mike DeWine endorsed issue one. Yes, on issue one. But that's it. Oh. He was not visible. He was not making speeches. No. He was not appearing around the, the, the state to try to support mm -hmm. it. He just issued right. a, a very kind of a, a passive, yes, I support it. Um, and, and that's yeah. all I saw. And that was a few weeks back. But he did nothing to get out there and actually champion no. this thing, which is very disappointing. Mm -hmm. That's disappointing, and I think he's a coward, and I think David Joyce is a coward for not coming out and expressing. And I, I wonder about our bishop. Did he come out vocally in favor of issue one? Somebody um, told me a couple of weeks ago that there was a letter that was signed by a few bishops, in fact, um, mm -hmm. I, I, and I asked for a copy of it. They said they were going to mm -hmm. get it to me, and I never received it. I can't remember who it was either, so I'm just as much to blame. Yeah, but, but well, it, were, it was just disappointing. Well, it, it is, especially if there was a letter that, w that, was, that was sent out by them uh, that mm -hmm. it, it was in, in support of Issue 1, and that's one thing. But again, being vocal, telling, yeah. you know, or at least guiding you know, priests and, and others who are polite to say, can you please talk to your parishioners about this, whether it be mm -hmm. in services during a homily or in mm -hmm. other, other forums. Um, yeah, I, I really think this is something that, that uh, you know, the faith community should be much more involved in than they were, to my I understanding. Have, I have talked to my pastor, and I said, can you be vocal on the during your homilies? And he said, oh, we will. Now, the only time I ever heard anything or saw anything was in the bulletin, and you had to look for it. Right. That right. he was voting yes on issue one. But I wanted to hear it shouted from the rooftops because people, honestly, people were very confused about this issue, the way it, the wording was. Yeah, no, no I, you're right. That, so the confusion, I think confusion ruled the day, Georgia. And thank you for the call, mm -hmm. dear. Great, great points. Great call. I think confusion ruled the day. I firmly believe there were a lot of people who are opposed to abortion on demand that thought they were voting against that yesterday, so they voted no. No abortion on demand for me. They were successful at confusing voters yesterday. That will not happen come November. We'll be back. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1034. Appreciate you being with us on Always Right Radio. Yeah, I think uh, it's really, I just got a message I want to share. Um, I think it's really important to understand two things. Number one, that as a pro-life state, which I believe we are firmly and strongly, we will defeat this ballot initiative to have abortion on demand in November. They do not, they don't understand this. Their win yesterday to keep the threshold at a weak 50% um, is not the big victory they think it is. They think it's going to help them. I believe it's going to hurt them, because I know that more than half of this state doesn't believe in carving babies up moments before their birth. And that is possible. That is exactly what this does. It gives a woman who is pregnant, and yes, only women can get pregnant, the right under the Constitution of the state of Ohio, if this happens, to decide, I don't want this baby after all, up to the moment she's, uh, the, the baby's born. And if you think that, well, that's ridiculous to think that it happens, there's a reason partial birth abortions um, exist. 
they're grotesque. They're barbaric. They are literally as vile and as sadistic as anything you could probably imagine going back to the Dark Ages, for crying out loud, in terms of torturous ways to kill. And they do it, and it has been done, and it will be done again if it is legalized, as, uh, as it would be in this state by way of the Constitution. The, we covered it with great, in great detail with Frank Loros about the butchering of, of children's bodies uh, who are post-birth, talking about the young kids who decide because they've been influenced by radical blue-haired nose-ring teachers into thinking that they're not a boy and they're not a girl, that they're the opposite sex and they want to change that or they want to be something different. They're getting abused by online influencers, and they want to go and do these things, and parents won't be able to step. We've covered all of this in depth. They think this this is something that's going to make it easier for them to pass. I believe it's going to be easier because of the 50% for us to defeat. And then I got a text message here from uh, from my friend Dave who said what Jim Jordan said earlier on is true. We can use the 50% simple majority that now stays in place to our advantage. Typically, we, and I said this to Jim Jordan, like to use the legislative process the way it was intended. We elect our representatives, they go to Columbus, they sit in the General Assembly, and they do what we tell them to do. They represent us. The left wants to turn the Constitution into a malleable document that just can be revised and changed on a whim based on the politics of the day. And if that's what they want to do, we can then do the same thing. And maybe we get a constitutional amendment initiative together to enshrine medical freedom for all. That never again, regardless of whether you work for a private institution, you're self-employed, or you work for the government. No one can ever again be mandated to take some experimental toxin into their body. No one can ever be mandated to strap a piece of cloth across their face. Nobody can ever again be mandated to stay in their home. You're not allowed to go out. You're not allowed to go out and and use your freedom, your liberty, as you decide. Medical freedom for all. You know what? I like it. Somebody draft the damn initiative. Let's get the signatures. Remember, thanks to the left, we only need 44 counties now to participate in that. Then 50% plus a single voter. They want to play this ridiculous game? Okay. We're still going to push for and use the legislative process because that's the kind of country we are. We are a representative republic, not a direct democracy. But if they want to play stupid games, let's give them some stupid freaking prizes. Let's do what needs to be done. Let's get a ballot initiative. Let's make sure that people like Mike DeWine, our weak A governor, who's a trans-dem like so many others. These are Republicans who are transitioning into Democrats. They're trans-dems. Mike DeWine has won. He was weak. He didn't lead in, in supporting issue one. He didn't lead in any way. He's weak. Let's not rely on him to sign bills that give us medical freedom. Let's not rely on weak leadership. Let's rely on us then. Let's follow the left. Yeah, let's go ahead. Let's see how much they regret not passing a 60% threshold when we push through ballot initiatives to do what's right by Ohioans, such as medical freedom for all. 
Uh, John is in Bria. John, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for calling. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. <clears throat> Hello, John. Hello. I hear you, you, I hear you okay, shuffling. Good, good. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, two things. Uh, in my church, they ha- didn't talk about it at all. They had one um, thing in the in the weekly pamphlet about it. I asked them, hey, why don't you put more in the pamphlet? I go, well, I'll, I'll pass that on. And of course, they... They never did it. One of the things that in Catholic Church, in my case, it's the dog on there. They're afraid. You know, we we had that one situation where that that one person spoke, that one priest spoke out, and then he got you know the, somebody else took over the microphone and stuff like. Oh they yeah, yeah, yeah. They can't right, right. They can't worry about that. They've got to just go ahead and not be so afraid to and hide in the corner. Number okay, the other thing is this this is very minor in the reference to the issue one, but it but it was there. I at least from the signs that I picked up that I put in my yard from the um Republican Party picked it up from the Republican Party, I think they were weak signs. The the no signs were much better than the ones that the Republican Party put out, which had um the main message in 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 Scott's inside of the uh, uh, picture of the state of Ohio, but it was too small, and it was too, it was just too uh, small, particularly for people driving by fairly rapidly. I did see some other big red signs, which are really good. So I guess other people, unless you know differently, uh, maybe some other people. There were yeah, there those. were a variety of different style signs. I did see. I know what you're talking about, and you're not the first person to complain about that. I'm seeing a lot of people saying I didn't like the sign designs because I couldn't read everything in it. Um, but what I would say, John, and this is just my opinion, sir, and thank you for the call. Keep listening, please. But this is just my opinion. We're not supposed to, like, be able to read all of the language, um, you know, and the reasons why we're voting yes on the signs. The signs aren't to be studied. The signs are just a show of support. We're voting yes on issue one. As long as you can see the three letters, yes, and as long as you can see issue one. Um, the goal of the science is to show other people you're not alone. There are people who agree with you. There are people who support you, to inspire you, to motivate you, and so forth. It's not like this is where we do our study. We do our study by getting online and reading many of the great articles, a lot of the great lists of the things that Issue 1 will do, the reasons why 60% is necessary, and so forth. We, we, we learn by listening to radio programs like this one, and others. That's where we get into the specifics and the, this is just totally my opinion. Maybe other people want to look at a sign as you're driving by and can find a way to read all of the words on it. Um, and okay. Uh, for me though, I think the value of the signage is in the numbers. I wanted to see more yes signs in more places to say, look at this. We should be inspired because when you see, and I know this happened too, I heard from people. They, in their communities, I saw no, 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 no. I see a ton of no signs. I'd see one yes sign for every no sign. And so they feel what? They feel outnumbered and they feel defeated. And what do you sometimes do when you feel defeated? People sometimes think, well, there's no reason to go vote. We can't win this. It, det- it deters people from going to the polls or going to their election board early, which we talked about for the last couple of months. It deters people when they don't. So to me, it's just the number of yes. If you can read yes and issue one on the state of Ohio you know, outline or whatever it is that you have, then I think the signs are fine. If you're looking to get more detail from a, a yard sign that you're passing and driving by at 35 miles an hour or more, um, I, I think that's probably not the best way to go about it. That's just my opinion, though. 
Dan in Middleburg Heights. Hi, Dan. Fire away. Good morning. Good morning, Dan. I hadn't talked to you for a couple of weeks because mm-hmm. I wanted to stay out of this, but in my mind, in my world, you, you did a really good job trying to promote this, but Ohio has it all wrong. When you're dealing with issues like this, and especially changing, amending a constitution, and it should be hard to change it, like you said a little while ago, we are a representative republic, not a democracy, yet you've got people walking around everywhere in this state that don't understand, in general, the difference. And so what you ended up getting yesterday was there's 8 million possible voters in Ohio, and you only had just round numbers for discussion, you had 3 million voted yesterday, okay? This bill was turned down by only 22% of the whole possible voters on the most important issue in this whole damn state, which is it has to be hard to change a constitution, not 50%. Mm-hmm. 22% of the people, only you only got 15% of the people to vote uh, yes, yes on this. Right. And, and as you said earlier in your program, there's an X amount of them that are confused because it's easy for these guys from out of state or around the world to use language to confuse people. The people should not be voting on these issues directly. It should be your representatives and senators in the legislature. That's And you pay well, attention who those people are. Yeah, and, and, and of course, that's why the left um, wanted to do it this way, because they don't yes. have enough of the legislators on their side, and then they blame gerrymandering right. for that. Um, right. But, but the, you know, the reality, as I tried to explain before, it's not gerrymandering that gives Ohio its strong, uh, you know, Republican lean, because in statewide elections, we're destroying them. Statewide, are. we are more conservative uh, than we are leftist, and they don't like that, so that's the reason they have to go with the less leftist alternative, which is direct democracy. Let's put every single I- initiative on the ballot like they do with Proposition 48, Proposition 29, Proposition blank, blank, yeah. blank in it's California. It's been happening for 100 years yeah but but see you're dealing with not 50 percent of the voters even it's not a sense you keep talking about a majority but if only 30 percent of the possible voters 22 percent on the victory for the left is that it's 22 percent that's not even 50 plus one no and they well, got but away to, with but it. the thing is the thing is you know the 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 beauty and the drawback of being a, in in a free society like ours, Dan, and thank you for the call, is is the same, and that is people have the freedom to decide whether or not they want to go and vote. And the reality is, there is a large percentage of the population, and people say, "Well, this is an off year, you know, special election in August. Of course, it's going to be a low turnout." But you know what? We get the same thing in, in elections that we hold in May. We get the same things, oftentimes, that we hold in November. People don't want to vote; they don't vote. When's the last time we had over fifty percent a turnout in in any election? I, I literally don't know the answer. This is a completely uh, legitimate question. It's not rhetorical. But when is the last time that more than 50% of Ohio's eligible voters, how many eligible voters do we have in the state? There's what, around 12 million Ohioans, 11.9 million Ohio residents. Um, what do we have, 6, 7 million? I don't even know what the number is, how many actual eligible voters. Do we routinely get more than half of them? I don't know. Many people just completely sleep on the importance of their their responsibility, their obligation to cast votes to make sure that our state is being run the way we want it to be run. 
So you're right. Yeah, you look at it and you say, hey, you know, we only had three million out of X number of you know million voters uh, in the in the in the state of Ohio, and so a slim percentage of a slim percentage actually made the rule here or made the decision here. You're right about that, but we can't drag people to the polls. We can't make it compulsory. We have to make it free. We have to make it their choice. In a liberty-loving country and state, we have to give people the right to vote, but it's not mandatory. It's up to us as the drivers behind various campaigns and the drivers behind various candidates. It's up to us to encourage them. We need you to get out there. What did I spend the majority of the last four and a half weeks on since uh, July 11th? I spent all of this time talking even going into July 11th, so I say about four and a half weeks, I spent all of this time talking about the four-quarter aspect of this. you got four weeks here. It's like four quarters of a football game. You can't just ignore the first, second, third, and fourth quarters of early voting and then expect to score all of your points during the two-minute warning on August 8th. And guess what? That's what happened. We didn't score enough points in the first, second, third, and fourth quarters of early voting, and they got off to a mammoth lead in the early going. As you started to watch the returns last night, you know what came in first, right? Early voting results. And it was crazy. It was 70-some percent to 20-some percent. The Democrats get out and vote early. The Republicans do not hammer that message home enough the way that I had been. I'm not saying I'm the only one, but I'm saying that was my focus. Don't try to to close a giant gap and come back from a giant deficit on August 8th. You've got to get out there and play the whole damn game. And not enough people went to the boards of elections early. We can't make it compulsory for them to do so. All we can do is plead and prod and educate and push and promote to get people out there to cast their ballots, whether it be early or on Election Day. That's all we can do. And it wasn't enough. But I'm still going to stand by my belief that it will be enough in November. We're a pro-life state. We're not going to hand unchecked abortion, murdering, barbaric torture of of pain-capable babies in the state of Ohio. We're not. That's not us. It's not who we are. We will not allow that to happen in November. I'll be back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three on the way now. It's nine minutes past 11 o'clock. On a Wednesday, the ninth morning of the eighth month year of our Lord, 2023, reactions still pouring in from all over the state. 
of uh, yesterday's issue one vote. The people spoke, kinda, not a whole lot of them, particularly when you consider 12 million Ohioans. And uh, I don't even know how many actual registered voters, but a fraction of them, of course, came out. And a fraction of them got to decide uh, whether or not we strengthen our Ohio Constitution or not. That's what we were dealt. That's what we played with yesterday. It was not an unexpected result. The question becomes, is that the end of the war? Is it over? Or is it over? Are we, are we, uh, are we now defeated? Is, is, this, is this the way that it ends? Is there a sea change coming to Ohio now? I say absolutely not. This was one little battle in, in a much larger war for the soul of the state of Ohio. And quite frankly, because they're not only doing this in Ohio, I would call it a, soul, a battle for the soul of the entire country. Joining me now to break it down and analyze somebody who is very, very uh, present, if you will. He was uh, very much a leader in the push to support and pass Issue 1, as well as cover the story for the Ohio Press Network, is the editor-in-chief and founder of that news publication, Jack Windsor. Back with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Jack, good morning. How are you? But Bob, I'm uh, you know I'm, I'm licking my wounds and uh, and I'm just giving you that as a, a personal uh, testimony of how I'm doing. And the news business is great, but uh, you know as a voter and as a father, uh, I look at yesterday and I uh, can't help but feel disappointed right now. Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, it, it is disappointing to lose because you nobody ever wants to lose. You don't like to lose. I get that. Neither no no one does. But um, the the magnitude of the loss is what needs to be discussed here. Quite frankly, I do not think it is that big of a deal. I would have liked to have raised the threshold to 60%, but Jack, uh, all this does is keep the, keep the status quo, and now it's a matter of, without all of the confusion, without all of the deception about what this, this particular election in November does, the way they had in this particular election yesterday, when you remove the deception and the confusion that many people suffered from as they tried to decide yes or no yesterday, and you just ask them directly, do you support abortion on demand all the way up through the ninth month of pregnancy, or do you not? When you cut through and clarify all of that, Jack, I don't think a pro-life state like Ohio comes anywhere near passing that in November. Yeah, well, you talk about false narratives, right? You're already seeing a lot of things on, on social media. Uh, the guy up there in Hudson, uh, State Representative Casey Weinstein, he's already touting the fact that abortion is next. Now, <laughs> he half-truths it a lot. He calls it protecting his daughter's reproductive health. So uh, the left that alleged it was abortion that was driving support for Issue 1, they immediately, yesterday, stopped talking about constitutions and majority rule and they picked up the pitchforks of of reproductive health so that's where the narrative is going bob i I would be remiss and i I hope i hope i can march through this and i'll try to get through it quickly i think there are two things well before you march jack hey jack before you march i want people to know we're going to take calls jack's going to stick with me here through the next 30 minutes or so uh, to the end of the show and take your call so if you've got questions for either one of us or you don't just want to add to the conversation uh please dial 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110 do it while jack's giving you his analysis of this and then we'll we'll get to your questions and comments as we go fire away jack yeah, so this is just kind of setting the table, and I'm sure we'll talk about what did you see, where the votes come from, why did it happen, is this a canary in the coal mine leading into November type of situation. You know, Bob, there were two arguments um, from opponents of Issue 1 that the media was happy to run run with leading up to yesterday. And uh, one of them, you heard, I think you talked about it a lot, Republicans just voted down elections in August. Pretty hypocritical of them, right? That was one of the arguments. Mm-hmm. The other one was, well, now we're going to spend $25 million 
to hold a special election uh, so these so these bozos can eliminate majority rule, right? Those were two arguments that, frankly, I, in m- most of what I read in media coverage, those those things were laced into the stories. And, and I think when you're in a close battle where every blow matters, I, I think those two things certainly tip the scale in favor of the opposition. But we've got to go back to a report that you and I. I think broke on your store or on your, on your station that, that I covered uh, called bipartisanship or betrayal. I published that story back in January and I, I uncovered that Jason Stevens had allegedly struck a deal with Democrats to win the speakership. Now you remember the rumors were that one of the provisions of that alleged deal, and I say alleged because I will never know right. uh, it had to do with this 60% threshold. And I think it's re- important to remember that Jason Stevens was installed in January he had until February to get this ballot initiative, or you know, back, it was a joint resolution then because it was still in General Assembly, mm-hmm. to get it out. He didn't. As a leader of the House, he missed the February deadline. Now, why is that important? Because had he not missed that deadline, this would have gone before voters during a May election, and at, at a time when Ohioans are voting for their lawmakers, our, you know, it would have been an already scheduled election election and it would have done two things it would have taken away the red herring argument hey they just they just stopped august special elections look at these hypocrites that that would be gone it, it would have taken away the objections to 25 million dollars and you and i bought and argue all day long for twenty thousand babies lives that's not but but to the average person who isn't plugged in that 25 million dollar argument mattered and you know right there he gave the opposition ammunition and what i said is, is already a hard to win type battle but Bob, there's a third point to this that I think is important, and I think it's the worst thing that happened. Wasting that first month in politics, time, time means everything. You'll remember back in 2020, 2021, Mike DeWine, if he would have been primary then, he would have lost. He didn't. He won because time afforded him the opportunity to craft a message and to recover a little bit. Well, here, time allowed opponents of this issue to reiterate their message, which, by the way, the press is happy to carry the water on. And the way that the brain works, man, people have time to receive that message. They can own that message. They can regurgitate that message. And, and what did we hear? I mean, and the time also, if I may, to collect money, including finding, and you did, and we'll talk more about your reporting on this, to find money overseas from dark money organizations and Swiss billionaires. They, you're right. If we get this thing on the ballot this past spring, we don't have all of that going on right now, probably. I would agree, and and that's what happened. And, and the, way, the, the messaging was opponents were were saying what they're actually doing. Okay, kind of, they said, "Look, they're 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 bringing in money from out of state, and uh, they 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 want to change your constitution." Well, the reality is, opponents brought in out of state. Some of it is money uh, t- uh, tied to international billion uh, an international billionaire. And it's coming, by the way, from the most progressive, democratic, dark fund, richest dark fund out there. And what do they want to do? They want to keep the bar low so they can change the Constitution. But that time afforded them the opportunity to say, look, here's here's line, Here's this Illinois billionaire. Four million dollars. Look, look at what they're trying to do. They're trying to get money in from out of state. This guy's trying to sway the election. And it worked. 
That's very well said, Jack. Uh, we're talking to Jack Windsor. He's the editor and founder, editor in chief and founder of the Ohio Press Network. Jack, t- tell us more about that because you and I didn't get a chance to talk last week prior to yesterday's vote about the uh, money coming in from the Swiss billionaire and the organizations <laughs> that he and the Dark Money or a group uh, represent. I asked, by the way, I don't know if you heard it. I had Secretary LaRose on uh, about an hour ago, and I asked him whether or not this was legal. And he said, as soon as he saw your report, and he appreciated your reporting on this, he handed it over to some of the legal team, and he they are indeed yep. investigating to find out if foreign dollars can be collected uh, and used to you know to decide things that affect Ohio residents, Ohio citizens, and of course, obviously, bigger picture, uh, you know, the United States. Foreign dollars have no business deciding what happens in our constitution. Can you give us more about what you found? Yeah, let's talk about that biggest concern, which, which is regarding foreign influence, and then there's dark money influence. But I'll I'll I'll, I'll start by saying this. Let's be honest. Money came out of state for both sides. Yes. Okay, uh, some of it was dark money that that funded. Like, actually came from the Concord Fund in Washington D.C. What's the Concord Fund? That's the fund that's actually working to to elect conservative judges throughout throughout the country. So we know what that is. Um, the money that came in uh, for for the opponents is actually channeled through what's called Arabella Advisors. Now I would encourage everybody to go to, go to Brave Browser, type in Arabella Advisors, and, and just read. Actually, better better than that. Go to the OhioPressNetwork.com, type in Swiss billionaire, and that'll pull up this story. And you can see that they're a, they're a mega dark money group touted for massive amounts of untraceable political spending. Now, they're comprised of the 630 Fund, New Venture Fund, Hopewell Fund, Windward Fund, North Fund. The two that I think are important are the 1630 Fund and the New Venture Fund. We did a deep dive on who they are, what they are. I mean, the bottom line is, Bob, all of these funds are connected with the people and efforts that conservatives bemoan and have bemoaned for a long time. And, and they can read through that report. Um, and so that the number one issue there is they're well-funded and they're well-funded by the richest network of progressive money in the country. So that's, that's point number one. And the second one is here, here's this guy by the name of uh, Hans-Jörg Viss. Uh, Viss was born in Switzerland in 1935. Uh, he lives in the United States, allegedly out in Wyoming. Um, so he's a foreign national. Now, what does that mean? That means he cannot legally give to candidates or political committees. Well, the Associated Press claims that he did do that back in 1990 to 2006, um, but the FEC didn't get it on their radar fast enough. The statute of limitations ran out, so on and so forth. Uh, But I think the issue here is, um, is money that this has given to these funds, is that flowing through? Bob, there's a reason they call them dark money groups. There's a reason they set these money groups up. Are they going to be able to, to see, you know, money coming from the Vist Foundation or, uh, you know, one of his, he's got $2 billion on deposit in, in different charitable organizations flowing through the 1630 fund? Yeah, they're going to see that. Are they going to be able to trace that? To, I, I don't know. But I think they're looking into it. But I think what's really unsettling for a lot of people is here you have a Swiss billionaire who, uh, you know, if this was the opposite side, if this was the right side of the aisle doing this, the press would be saying, oh, my gosh. You've got an international player meddling in elections and trying to influence the outcome. I think that's very well said. And, you know, I think the other thing, too, it's Swiss. If it's a different country, I wonder how this would be received if this was a Russian billionaire or if this was, uh, you know, a Chinese billionaire, another nation that we are, of course, uh, you know, adversarial with. I wonder how that would uh, that would have changed all this. But I think you say Swiss billionaire and people go, oh, what? What's that? I don't care. Um, they should care because dark money uh, used for purposes, again, which are going to change not only the balance of, of power and culture, quite frankly, 
frankly, in the state of Ohio, but in other states and larger the larger picture of the country, it should matter to people. So um, that was very important reporting yeah. that you did. Go ahead, Jack. Thank you. Yeah, and it should matter because, by the way, you know, th- this is the guy who poured, uh, you know, three figures, uh, the 1630 fund, which is, you know, he's, he's put hundreds of millions of dollars into the 1630 fund. Uh, they spent $245 million um, uh, trying to unseat or, excuse me, not get Brett Kavanaugh into the Supreme Court justice seat. Uh, he's he spent millions of dollars touting uh, Biden's green uh, green initiatives, green energy initiatives. Mm-hmm. So you know there's a there's a desire here. This, it's not like we're trying to get people out to vote to vote, although they do uh, drives for that. Um, you know they're funding a progressive agenda and they're doing it from overseas. No question about it. Jack Windsor is my guest. Jack, we'll take a time out here at 1021. I want to open up the phone lines now and get your comments. What questions do you have for Jack or myself? What comments do you want to make? Not only about the disappointment of losing yesterday, which is real, but the perspective and the context that that comes in as it pertains to November and beyond. So we want your thoughts at 216-901-0945, You're up next. Okay, we're talking about issue one. It went down to defeat yesterday. A lot of dark money, a lot of confusing, deceptive advertising. Responsible for that. What does it mean, big picture going forward? Jack Windsor is with me from the Ohio Press Network. Let's get a few phone calls in now. Jeff in Cleveland. Jeff, welcome to Always Right Radio. Fire away. Good morning. Thank you, Bob, for having me. Uh, And thank you for the informative show that you do have. Well, I, for one, am very disappointed uh, with the campaign that was run. I think that all conservatives, Republicans, did do a good job in terms of their efforts, phone calling, yard signs, etc. But I attended, um, I I just can't help but remember that I attended a few uh, events where former Congressman Lee Zeldin from New York came in and spoke to Republicans and told us, us, and our party, that we needed to do more than what we were doing. We have to reach out and go into areas that we're not very comfortable with, that are not uh, truly red uh, areas. And uh, everyone uh, agreed with former Congressman Lee Zeldin. And this campaign ran the opposite, focusing on turning out the base, and that was it. And I think that with with a two-week campaign, and I, I have never seen a campaign this horribly run in my lifetime. And I've been involved with a lot of campaigns. I've never seen uh, uh, county chairmen, chairpersons waiting and begging for signs in a campaign while one side, the left, is getting out so much negative information. Yeah, if I think that, I think a big part of what you said, if I may, Jeff, I'm going to jump in here so I can give Jack a chance to respond, and thank you for the call. Jack, I think the most important thing Jeff talked about here was the uh, uh, the uh, uh, the length of the campaign. They got started so much later than the no side did. They were running ads yep. in May and in June and July and all yep. the way up until August 8th. It was a very late starting pushback. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, I'm going to so I'll, I'll try to answer that with top-down leadership and then, you know, the code that you're going to have to crack before November. Uh, I want to talk about top-down leadership quickly. Um, You know, Gavin Newsom and and Nancy Pelosi got more attention for weighing in on this matter than Governor Mike DeWine did. I remember a time when Mike DeWine was really pushing millions of dollars into a lottery 
uh, to get kids vaccinated at a time when people went, eh, we're not sure that they need them. Now, I mean, you can say this, somebody's going to call you a conspiracist. Now you go, not only did they not need it, it might have been might have been hurtful. But he had a passion and he had a consistent effort behind that. Where, where was he on this? Mike DeWine's going to have to be out front in this November battle because there are there are a group of Republicans. You can call them the Kasichs. You can call them the Davidsons, whatever you want to call them. He's got to lead because that part of the party is going to have to get out to vote. When you look at the map from yesterday, I mean, there are the usual suspects, right? Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, Northwest Ohio. By the way, Mahoning Valley and Athens County fell apart. I'm going to chalk that up to unions. You go, well, unions? How's Athens County? Well, that's Jay Edwards. Jay Edwards is down there pushing against this. He's a union guy. Um, but when you look at that map, there were suburban areas now that are opposed to this. That right there, that's the code that, that you're going to have to crack come November. Um, it, 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 how do you craft a message that isn't off-putting to suburban women on the matter of abortion? The other side has it down pat. They're quite comfortable saying, find the petition uh, to get on the Ohio ballot, an amendment that protects your right to choose. Consequently, they'll be quite content saying now, you have to vote yes. This is about protecting women's re- reproductive health. You care about women, don't you? Um, they've got it down, and they're funded. Y- you're going to have to crack that code, and, and, and that is going to be going into places where maybe you're not comfortable. Maybe you're going to have to learn how to handle some objections about, well, you're not a woman. How, how in the hell are you going to tell me what to do? But that's the code they're going to have to crack, I think. That's a big part of it. And I think another part of it, too, is just the willingness of people to go into, and I think Jeff mentioned this, to neighborhoods they're not comfortable with. In other words, more rural red areas are, are certainly welcome to have people knock on their doors and say, hey, you know, vote for this or vote against that or whatever the case might be. But a lot of those people aren't comfortable going into places where they need to get some votes. You're never going to get a plurality. You're never going to get a majority, but you can get some votes from neighborhoods in the inner city and at other places that might not be comfortable comfortable for people to go and campaign in. And that's a big issue as well. We'll take a time out here at 1130. We've got time for a few more phone calls. Jack Windsor is going to stick with us. Stay here on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on The Answer. Okay, it's 1134. We continue now. Our friend Jack Windsor from the Ohio Press Network is with us. He is uh, uh, editor and founder-in-chief of that important organization, and uh, he's taking your calls, as am I, about issue number one. Uh, Let's go ahead and get um, Mike in Strongsville. Jack, first of all, you're with us, right, Jack? You still there? I'm here, yeah. Okay, Thanks gotcha. So I want to make sure I checked in with you. Mike in Strongsville. Hi, Mike. You're on the air. Fire away. Hey, thanks for taking the call. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, just like Republicans have embraced this early voting, we need to get constitutional amendments on the ballot ourselves with things that are simple, uh, 60%, you know, things like no abortion after viability, right? Uh, parents can manage their children's medical care. You know, things that are simple and direct, and and I think would get 60% of the vote, because I think a lot of people are still with the abortion, safe, legal, and rare attitude, uh, which kind of well, worries well, who, who, are, who are a lot of people? Because, you know, that, that, seemed to, yeah. that ship seems to have sailed. The, the safe, you know, 
the, the pro-life side was always from conception. The pro-choice side, or the pro-death side, as I say it, uh, has always been safe, legal, and rare. Now they've abandoned safe, legal, and rare to any time, on demand, whenever the hell we want, for whatever reason we want. We don't care about the life of that preborn child. So I, I don't know, you know what I mean? I don't know how we find a way to pull them back to viability standards or anything else. Yeah, I think, I think there are some Democrats who aren't on Twitter, right? These are, these are just Democrats that live in their life who who aren't those extreme and they listen you know we hear the extremes on the news don't hear the extremes on on media um you know i think of my family i think i have a i have a stepmom who is is fairly liberal but she you know retracts at viability issues so i guess i was thinking of her so there's at least one okay fair enough jack uh thank you for the call uh mike jack your thoughts uh yes so i think what i heard was the opposition, or actually, so now now it's the opposition. See, I'm already confused. Uh, folks who don't want this radical November abortion uh, measure, and, and by the way, it's a transgender uh, measure as well, to pass, um, they need to put some simple measures on in the Constitution. Um, you know, possibly, right? Uh, I, I, the argument I made with respect to this is we have the ability as citizens to amend the Constitution, even if it's 60%. Uh, we can initiate legislation. Our lawmakers can initiate legislation, and we can use a referendum to pull laws down. I think what needs to happen is th- the key point he said is simple. It has to be simple. It has to be clear, and it has to be honestly uh, communicated. And I think if you can do those things, it does potentially deserve to go in the Constitution. What gives me heartburn, especially with abortion, this is the, this is the issue of our time, and I think we have to be really smart about how we craft whatever it is you're trying to craft, and uh, that it doesn't have the loopholes that leave interpretation up to courts, right? I mean, they're going to have to interpret it anyway, um, but I think sometimes uh, the legislative process does justice to things where, because we're seeing it right now with November, this ballot initiative, it's not what the press is telling you it is. They're not going to come out and tell you what it is. And uh, it's kind of like Nancy Pelosi said way back. you got to pass it to find out what's in it, you know, beyond the fog of all the controversy. And uh, I, think, I think we've got, if you're going to do those types of things, you better make sure that it's a constitutional amendment-worthy thing and, and not something that should be on the Ohio Revised Code books. Do you think that the pro-life side does need to waver a little? Do you think they need to come back from uh, and maybe meet a little bit more toward the 15-week time or the viability time or something as opposed to what we have here in our state, which I really uh, appreciate, which is the heartbeat law, because to me, that's when the argument of my body, my choice ceases to exist, when there is another body present and a second heart shows, because no human being has two hearts, a second heart shows there's another human being involved. You can now it's talking about the baby's body. But, but is that is that too extreme, do you think, Jack? You know, you're you're talking to a guy who believes that uh, divinity is breathed into that mother's womb way before a heartbeat. God is amazing, and God blesses somebody with the energy of life, and it starts there. Uh, and spiritually, I'll argue that all day long. You can't have that discussion leading into an election, I think, because I think that that ship has sailed. Here's the problem with this type of and try to answer this quickly. Politics is about the art of decision making. You can't give up good chasing perfect. That's it. I mean, that's my answer. Do, do I think that Ohioans want zero exceptions for abortion? No, they don't. Do I think that they want uh, women to be able to say, hey, you know, I'm kind of stressed financially, 
and uh, socially, and I don't want to have this child, and I'm eight months pregnant, abort the baby. They don't want that either. You've got to find what is palatable for the voting population, and you got to do it. And you've got to do it with the eye on how many lives can we save and protect by doing this. Jack Windsor is our guest, taking a few more phone calls uh, in reaction to issue one's defeat yesterday and looking forward to November and the ballot initiative to uh, bring any time on-demand abortion to Ohio in the Constitution. Frank is in Brook Park. Hi, Frank. Go ahead. Hey, hey thank you, Bob. Uh, yeah, the bishops, you were asking the question, you didn't know what the bishops had said on this issue. Four weeks ago, at least. They put in, and it was in the church, our church belt in St. Stephen's and at St. John Bosco, that it, this is a uh, issue is not a moral question. That's why they stayed away from it. They call it saying it's not a moral question. It's not a okay. moral question is what the bishop said. I, 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 yes, I, that was announced. Church uh, I'm okay. failing to understand that. How is how is? Yeah, I mean, I understand that you I, can argue issue one in and of itself is not a moral question because it's a question about the Constitution and whether or not the threshold for amending it should be changed. The question in November is on is without without a doubt a moral question because we're talking about life or death, right? Yes, Jack, your thoughts? Well, I think. Um... Technically, they're right, right? I mean, we talked about this in the report we released yesterday. The press was quite content making this uh, this vote yesterday about abortion. It wasn't. It was about minimum wage. It was about sovereign immunity for law enforcement officers. It was about recreational marijuana. It was about the, 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 the fill in the blank. So it really was about do we want to keep the threshold low so that these radical things can happen? Or do we want to increase it? So I guess from a technical vantage point, they are correct. What's challenging is when you know what we all know and you see where the funding is coming from and you see the funding that is backing in Ohio or they're backing the trucks up again, right? Dumping money in. What, what are they doing around the country? They're doing things that are absolutely a moral issue. Um, so to split the legal hair, I think they're right. And if, if they're going to be consistent with that, they better be beating the drum today about what November is and why people need to get out to vote. Let's go from the morals to the monies now. Mark in Cleveland's got a question for us. Mark, fire away. Yeah, Jack just brought up just his last answer, the money coming into the state. And I heard several commercials uh, prior to the vote saying that the primary funding source for the pro issue one was a single donor in Indiana that donated over $4 million of the $4.5 million. And I'm just wondering if there's any validity to that. And if so, why why are we allowing that outside money from Indiana? Well, we can't seem to raise it within the state. Yeah, that's uh, there was actually Illinois. You're talking about Dick Uline. I'll let and thank you for the call. Let's let Jack answer that, Jack. Yeah, and and that's why we wrote the report on the Swiss billionaire because uh, you know all we heard about early on was Uline, and that was the criticism that was waged against uh, protect our Constitution. That you know the vote yes drive was that $4 million came from out of state from this Illinois billionaire. Well, here's one point. He put his name on it. You know where it came from. And frankly, you know what he stands for. Okay? So it is out of state money. There is a there is an argument there. Should that money come in? Well, if you're going to look at that, then you need to look at the gubernatorial race, the U.S. Senate race. I mean, money comes in all over the place. That is politics. Uh, where it gets a little scary and shady is when they the money may be coming out of uh, out of out of the country from foreign nationals, and, and that's really what we broke the story on. Um, 
so, you know, the other issue, though, both sides, to be fair, 80% of the money that came in for this issue, it was out of state. Uh, where people are struggling is this Arabella Advisors Group that, that funded the no vote. Um, it's dark money. And, and that's the difference. Dark money groups versus people who are saying, hey, I'm willing to put my money on this and or my, my name and face on this so that you know where it's coming from. Yeah, I think that's well said. The music means we can't get to our last two callers here, so uh, we'll have to end it here. Jack Windsor, uh, keep up the great work uh, on Issue 1 and more. I'll encourage people again to subscribe to the Ohio Press Network online at theohiopressnetwork.com. Jack Windsor is the editor-in-chief and the founder there. Jack, thank you, my friend. Hey, I was long-winded today. I hope it was meaningful, though. Thanks no, for having it, me. It was Bob. very meaningful and very important stuff. We've, we've got to be long-winded. We have a lot of things to talk about uh, as we prepare for the next fight in this war, which will come in November. That's all the time we have. Thanks to Seth for running the show today. Thanks to Marianne answering your calls. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to a great cavalcade of guests as well. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Cable news. Noisy. Boring. Out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525.